Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. And today, which I'm looking forward to, we're going to be joined by Dr. Rebecca Ree. We're going to talk about First uh, Kings chapter 17. We're going to frame it as the challenge of receiving, I think, which is a very appropriate topic this time of year. And for those of you who uh, have heard Rebecca before, uh, she uh, went to Yale Divinity School and studied biblical Hebrew. She earned her PhD from Boston University. So she's loves the Hebrew Bible and loves storytelling and loves reading God's Word and teaching it. So we're glad to have her back. Rebecca, I'm looking forward to this study in 1 Kings 17. I am too. I really uh, have enjoyed it. It's been one of the ones I've wrestled with more than some of the others. So I'm glad that I finally got to a place where I've I, I managed to get something out of it that's, uh, I think, a little substantial. Well, my intrigue is high when you say things like that. <laughs> so I'm really curious to find out why you struggled. So how do you want to go about it today? Should we, uh, I know you like to to read the entire chapter. Is that how we should start? Yeah, um, I'm just going to say, just to uh, preview that reading, it's, um, you know, we tend to think, especially at Christmas time, that the act of receiving is a rather straightforward thing. You know, someone offers you a gift and you reach out your arms and you take it, Right. But sometimes it doesn't take long to realize that receiving is not straightforward at all. Sometimes we get things we don't need or want. Sometimes we, what, when, what we do get doesn't feel like enough to get us through. And sometimes we receive things that lead to anguish and struggle. Mm-hmm. So who we are as receivers is constantly changing depending on our circumstances. Ooh, already a so, lot of wisdom there, Rebecca. So, yeah, so today I wanted to look at a story about receiving, specifically receiving from God, which is something I think we all want to know a little more about, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And aside from God, the story has two main characters, which is Elijah the prophet, and then a nameless widow he comes to live with during a time of drought. So um, I'm going to read an uh, abridged version of 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, As the Lord of God, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and hide yourself by the brook Karit, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and lived by the brook Karit, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarpatah and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow to bear to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarpatah. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. 
And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and not and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent Neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let the child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Wow. That is 1 Kings chapter 17, and it was read by Dr. Rebecca Ree. Is yep. she's going to teach on it now. That's the English Standard Version, if anybody's okay. interested. Um, so the way I want to dig into this story is to point out two contrasts between the Elijah and the widow, and then one symmetry. And in each case, whether it's a contrast or a symmetry, Elijah and the widow have something to teach us about how we might be wiser, better receivers in our lives. So let's start with the first contrast. And the first contrast has to do with their experience with food. So after Elijah delivers a very negative word to King Ahab, God tells him to hide by the brook Kerit and wait for the birds to feed him. And then quite miraculously, he's fed by ravens, bread and meat twice a day, and he drinks from the brook. And to my mind, this is pretty hearty fare. I mean, you're not doing too bad with some bread and some meat twice a day um, that Elijah receives. But it's very short-lived because the brook dries up and Elijah has to move on. And um, I was talking to my former Hebrew professor, and she she pointed out to me that um, it's a very unkosher thing that's going on here because um, ravens are birds of prey and they are unkosher. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, God does what he wants to do and he feeds how he wants to feed. So he provides yeah. through this means. 
My my thought was, how appetizing is this food if it's brought to you by a bird? <laughs> well, it's, especially if it's considered like an unclean bird, right. a bird, right? Yeah. So, um, so in contrast to Elijah, the widow has had a traumatic time of it. Day by day, she sees her provisions getting smaller and smaller until there's nothing left to go around, just a mouthful for her and her son. And when her miracle of food comes, it is meager fare compared to bread and meat, but it lasts much longer and feeds her whole household plus Elijah. So interestingly, while Elijah's feeding at Karit starts immediately by God's word alone, Elijah has to interact with the widow in order to kickstart the second feeding miracle. And so this is one of the places where I really started to struggle with this passage. It really irks me that Elijah insists upon being fed first, even though the widow has just explained that she and her son are dying. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know you have nothing left, but feed me first. I'm with you on that. Yep. So... One thing in the Hebrew keeps me from thinking that Elijah is being completely tone deaf to the widow's plight. In verse four, God says, I have commanded the ravens to feed you. And then in verse nine, God repeats, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And that verb feed in both, in both cases is cool. And uh, it's the same verb. So maybe the reason Elijah can, be you know so so confidently order the widow around is because he's already had the experience of God feeding him and he's operating on the premise that God's going to do exactly the same thing again in this case. So um, I have a little aside here to ask a little question on the side. Um, did you notice how important vessels are in this story? Um, you know, first we have the live vessels of the ravens who bring food to Elijah. Then we have a jar and a jug of flour and oil. Um, and then there's the hand of the widow when Elijah says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And the provision must pass through the very hands, which she said were empty of food. Now those hands are nonstop full. And it's a beautiful like reversal um, going on here of what just happened. Um, so I, I asked a personal question of myself, like, what are the vessels in my life that showcase God's provision? How does, how does God take my empty hands and make them full? Um, and I pondered that question for a while, and I can give you an illustration from my own life, which is this. Um, when I was a doctoral student um, studying Hebrew Bible stories, I became very, very interested in direct speech. And what I mean by direct speech is, what Bible characters actually say between quotation marks. Um, and when I was writing my 300-page uh, dissertation, I did a lot of research on linguistic theory, which is to see how different forms of languages actually work. And then the ironic thing is after I finished my PhD, I had a baby whom we learned had autism when he was only 16 months old. So he did not speak until he was five and a half years old and only with a huge amount of therapy and prayer. So I did not hear mama for years and it, 
literally broke my heart to be around people whose kids could talk because I had all of this academic knowledge on language, but I could not get my own son to speak. Um, And now that he's 11, the picture has changed because it has been slow and steady work, but he speaks way, he has way more language at his command. So he still suffers um, from significant deficits. Um, Do his father and I wish that we had miraculous meat and bread kind of language? Of course we do. Do we still experience heartache when we're around typical children? Yes. But the flour and the oil have not run out. In small amounts, the language keeps coming for my son as the people God has commanded to help him keep pouring into him. And so this is where I want to generalize the question about from my life into everyone out there maybe who's listening. We have to ask ourselves, are we remembering to be thankful for the ongoing little things that God provides, the cake of flour and oil? Or do we sometimes get discouraged that the provision is not flowing more freely like we want? You know, what is our attitude going to be? Gratitude and faith that more is coming is, in fact, just around the corner by God's command. Or is it going to be fear and complaint because it just looks like crumbs and dribbles because we're walking by sight, as Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. So that's a little question I just want to throw out there. Uh, such, Such a solid question and such a great point. And I think all of us, including myself and Wyatt and everyone listening, have just reached a point of conviction because we've asked ourselves that question. Mm. And, you know, I don't, I don't think you're necessarily a bad person if you feel fatigue and you feel doubt um, when, it's, when all you're getting is, you know, the cake of flour and oil. Mm-hmm. Because um, that's not what people normally subsist on long term. Like there have been times in my life that have been very difficult where I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for God to punch through. And I tell him things like, you know, I'm very grateful that you allow me to walk on water, but this is not my natural habitat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, you know, while we want to remain faithful and, and it really takes having a circle of people around you to help you remain grateful and faithful. um, We also have to have some mercy on ourselves and recognize that it's also part of the human experience. To, to get tired and to have our doubts when, when the provision takes a long time coming. Yeah, so, so well said. Dr. Rebecca Rhea is my guest. We're going to take a little break. We come back, can, we're going to continue our study in First Kings chapter 17. We'll be right back. How about make a wonderful commitment to yourself this year by reading through the Bible, maybe not even once, but maybe twice. Say things to yourself like, I am going to create a new habit that maybe I have not had in years, and I'm going to commit to it, and I'm going to stick with it. You've always said you wanted to, so how about make it this year where you do it, spending more time in God's Word, and you can do it, and we can help. So all you have to do is get your Bible in a year, plan right now. And you can do that right over at myfaithradio.com. 
Welcome back to the show. Dr. Rebecca Rhea is my guest. We are in 1 Kings chapter 17, and I must admit, Rebecca, I did, I did, my brain did hit a, a detour when you said, what are your vessels that God is supplying you through? Mm. I think that's how you said it. Did I get yep. that right? You're basically saying, where are the places yes. that um, are like a stage with a spotlight where we either see that provision or we don't? Yes, exactly. And I've been thinking about that. But anyway, I can process that more later after the show. I know we have to get back to uh, the business at hand. So thank you for that. Well, it might come up later in our application oh, section at the end. So good. we'll see about I'll be, that. I'll be paying attention. Um, so I told you that we wanted to look at two contrasts and one symmetry between Elijah and the widow. So let's talk about the second contrast between Elijah and the widow. And that involves how Elijah sees the widow of Sarpatah versus how she sees herself. And because he is privy to God's word, Elijah sees this mistress of the house as a source of life-giving food, while she thinks she's a dead woman. And it's really dramatic. She has no idea how close she is to a breakthrough. She has no idea that God has commanded her to mediate a miracle. And she has no idea how concerned the God of Israel is for her and her household. And a few years back, I was reading um, a book by John Eldridge, who is a, a counselor and a writer, called Walking with God. And he introduced to me um, a concept called agreements. Now, agreements are a phenomenon that happens when we're struggling and a bad thought worms its way into our head. And we not only let it in, but we unconsciously start to nurture it. So we think, well, I'll never get out of this place. And so we agree with that. Or the worst is yet to come. And we agree with that. Or I'm alone. I'm a loser. You know, the, the, they're fat, they come at, at us fast and furious, these dark thoughts. And we, without realizing it, uh, put out our hand and like handshake with them. We, we collaborate with them. We agree with them. Um, it seems like it's, we're living in this broken world and, and we ourselves are so broken. It's so much easier to fall into an agreement than actually fight for the truth, to even recognize the truth, um, to say, you know, I got to search the scriptures and I got to like replace this agreement with something that's true. I've got to pray. I've got to talk to somebody that I trust. I've got to fight for my well-being. That's it's much harder to do that in this dark world. And so when the widow's son unexpectedly dies, the truth of what the vid- widow has agreed to comes out. And she says, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death. Literally, she says, and to kill my son. Now, no matter how long we've been Christians and how fervently we may confess that our sins have been forgiven by Jesus, I think many, if not most of us, still operate under the same agreement as the widow. You're going to pay for the past. You're still on the hook for it. And God will see to it that you are punished for it in one way or another. Well, that's a very profound point you just made. I, I think a lot of us just 
plain. It, it seems like the kind of the, the snap conclusion that we come to day by day. Mm-hmm. Um, so personally for me, um, my ongoing struggle is to grasp just how secure I really am in God's care. All kinds of um, statements come to me in my head um, that want me to agree with them about how unsafe I am, how uh, vulnerable to catastrophe. I'm a catastrophic thinker. Me too. Um, and um, if you go to my website where I talk a little bit about my past, um, I was a victim of severe childhood abuse, which left me battling PTSD very badly. And um, as I said before, that manifests itself as never really feeling 100% safe or sometimes feeling like if something good happens to me, I'll have to pay for it later when the other shoe drops. So it's a very uncomfortable place. And it's a place where of it's a battleground for agreements in my head. Um, so when catastrophe strikes, we discover what we really believe about God and what we really believe about ourselves mm. way down. Um, Maybe you're somebody that feels guilty, like you don't deserve to be happy. So God's going to, like, you know, she said, you've killed off my son. Maybe you think God's going to kill off your dreams or your future or your joy because um, you don't deserve any of that. And you think God has something against you. Yeah. Um, uh, I know sometimes I've, I've done that when my son's autism feels like it's too much to bear. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, I'm taking some notes here and I got to go back and have you repeat something catastrophe strikes when catastrophe strikes we discover what we really think about god yeah and ourselves what we really truly believe yeah because the two are linked you know it's not like god is in the abstract it's who is god to me Uh who am i to god so that that uh catastrophic thinking um brings us to point number three which is the one place where the widow and elijah seem to agree And that is both the widow and the prophet agree that the boy's death is undeserved and is an act of God, not a natural or a neutral event. Both of them take the boy's death extremely personally. So we've already said how the widow sees it as payback for her past sins, right? Mm -hmm. But what about Elijah? Let's reread what he says um, in verse 20. He says, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Now, in Hebrew, that phrase, have you brought calamity, is hare ota. And that literally means do evil. Have you done evil to bring upon the widow? You know, have you brought evil upon the widow with whom I'm staying? That's the question. He's actually questioning God's goodness and integrity regarding someone who has only done what she was supposed to do in hosting Elijah. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, you can hear Elijah's language starting to mirror hers when he too uses the kill verb to describe the boy's manner of death. So she says, you've killed my son. and, And he says to God, you've killed her son. So they're agreeing with this. And um, if we listen closely, we can hear just how horrified and flabbergasted Elijah, the mighty but utterly human prophet, might really be. Um, And you kind of compare this to the beginning of the chapter. Like, um, 
how how a lofty place that he occupied versus where he is right now. So in the beginning, he foresaw and announced the the drought to King Ahab's check. And then he fled to the, the brook Karit and was fed by the ravens check. And then he commanded the widow to turn over all she had to him first to kickstart a feeding miracle check. The food has been flowing, but you know what has dried up? The boy's breath. So the story simply could, storyteller could have simply said, and the boy died in verse 17. But instead he says, there was no breath left in him. This boy, her precious boy, is the one vessel that goes empty, mm. that, that dries up. Um, now, as far as we know, Elijah has never seen this before. And as far as we know, God never spoke a word about it to him beforehand. Um, And I don't know about you, but I take extreme comfort in Elijah's upset in this moment because he might be a mighty, mighty man wielding divine power to a degree that most of us will never know. But he doesn't escape the tribulation in life that Jesus promised we would all encounter. Mm. Um, So what can we learn for ourselves by exploring his rather strange way of coping with the death of this son? I think there's three things we can learn with with Elijah's response to this. So the first thing is this, when we're met with undisturbed, when, when he's met with undeserved disaster, the first thing Elijah does is he gets alone with God, where he will be able to speak freely to the one who has answered his prayers in the past. And he explains his point of view, how bad God looks, how unfair it all seems. And so I think that sometimes we need to do the same, immediately get into our prayer closet and let it rip mm-hmm. because God can take it. And maybe God's even looking for it. Um, number two, Elijah uses whatever faith he possesses in that moment to petition God boldly. So let me tell you a little bit more about the Hebrew here. The text says that the boy's breath, which is the word nishmat, runs out of him. But when Elijah prays, he prays that the boy's nephesh be returned to him. So he asks for something different to go back in than what has run out. Nephesh, it has a much broader meaning than just breath. It, it's the actual life force of a person. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that animates a person and makes them alive in all sorts of ways. So if you, if you notice Elijah as a character, he doesn't do anything by halves, you know, and he puts everything on the line and goes for broke when, when this catastrophe happens. And um, I think maybe we should think about it the same way. You know, when we're stuck in a really hard place, are we going to be intimidated and feeble in our prayers? Or are we just going to go for broke and say, I'm putting it all on, all on the line just to like Elijah did? Um, We see Jesus do this very same thing in another resurrection story in Mark 5. And in Mark 5, a little girl dies. And Jesus only allows three of his closest disciples to accompany him in reviving her. Um, And why I bring this up, Jesus respects his own process. And so does Elijah. You know, we have to be strategic about what works for us when we approach God boldly. 
We don't need to worry about how other people are doing it. We need to focus instead on the measures we've taken in the past that God has faithfully answered. Dr. Rebecca Ree is my guest. If you just joined us, we are looking at 1 Kings chapter 17, and this is really a wonderful um, teaching on it, Rebecca. You've got so many gems here. Uh, Just the fact that um, respecting your own process, I know that just lit up in a lot of people's minds right now. Yeah, yeah, we get really wobbly, maybe that's the word, when catastrophe strikes. Yeah. And we start thinking, oh, well, if only I had the faith of so-and-so, and and if only I looked like, operated like this person over here, um, when that's not, God's trying to engage you, not them. Right. And um, in that prayer closet, you, you you know, you got to go where you don't have to be self-conscious and you, you turn to the things that you know God has responded to in the past where he has, you, you have shown your commitment to him in a specific way and he's honored it. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a little break. Dr. Rebecca Ree is my guest. You can learn more about her at RebeccaRee.net. That's R-H-E-E. That's how she spells her last name. Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H-E-E. RebeccaRee.net. We'll be right back. If you did just jump in your car, you have missed some uh, really great points that we're learning from First Kings chapter 17 from Dr. Rebecca Ree. And Rebecca, I'm just going to recap a couple of these because I wrote them down, took some notes. And one of the things you were saying, if you have experienced an undeserved disaster, it may be wise, like Elijah did, just to get alone with God and speak freely. Now, I don't know, when you feel that kind of uh, emotional uh, fear or anxiety or rage, uh, is it is it helpful to just unload on God, do you think, or do you fall on your knees in complete humility and submission? Um, well, I think we are, we are but dust, to put it <laughs> Well said. And we have to, we're, 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 we're jars, jars of clay, isn't that how Paul said it? Yep. So we have to not only respect our process, but we have to respect our very composition, and recognize that we're not these like high and lofty creatures made of light that just, you know, float from one revelation to the next. I think, in fact, it's not just recommended that we get in the prayer closet and duke it it out with God, but it's actually necessary because I don't think we're in a position to receive. We're talking about receiving. There's no room to receive anything from God when you are up to your neck in complaint and fear in, in, you know, doubt, I think you have to vocalize these things um, before God, before there's any room, because he knows about them being there already. And he might have been saying, you know, I remember a time in my life where um, I was struggling with some with with a relationship. And I sat there looking out of a window. And I remember saying to God, I just don't have enough love for this person. I just, and it took me a long time to be able to even admit that to God in the privacy of my own little apartment to just say, I don't have enough love for this person. And you know what I heard back? Mm. Great. I've been waiting for you to finally get there. Now we can do something. Oh, wow. 
Okay, I, know? I appreciate that. Even when we talk about something like undeserved disaster, of course, the rain falls on the just and unjust alike. I sometimes, you know, hear people say, why me? And, and of course, I think, of yeah, why you? Or why not you? I, I mean, I go back and forth. But, I mean, it's I'm saying that hoping it's not me next time, you know, even though it's going to probably be me next time. <laughs> well, and the best thing we can do is to say, I don't know, you know, to, to say as Christians, one of the best things and most powerful things we can say is, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why it's you this time, but I'm here and I can listen. Um, and if you, if, you know, you need help with somebody saying, hey, you know what? That sounds like an agreement. I have people like who help me. They're like my agreement detector detectors, like a, a carbon monoxide detector. Yeah. But, you know, they, they're around me and they, when they, when they send something not right in the atmosphere of where, where I'm living spiritually, they go, that sounds like a dark agreement. Are you collaborating with that Ooh, thought? I, I, I would love having those kinds of people speaking that kind of truth uh, yeah. regularly. So it's, I'm glad you have that. And, you know, really I do too, but, um, that's really good. Well, so that's why you need to get it off your chest yeah, first. Good point. Good point. Yes. And then yes. Elijah uses whatever faith he has, but uses it boldly. Yes. He just goes for, I love that about him. He just goes for broke. Yeah. Because he's never been in a position like this where he has, you know, the agenda set out before him, before it even happens the way he did before. God told him everything, the script before. This is the first time something happens and it's the worst thing. Um, and he's never seen it before. So um, I, I think it's, you know, just going for broke is something I really like about him. And, and, um, I, and I love the words you used. Uh, is it nefesh? That's the to kind of... Breathe, ne- yeah, ne- nefesh. Nefesh, yes. to breathe life force back in, more than just returning of breath, but something even bolder than that, which I think yes. is great. Yes. He's, he's asking for the whole uh, package. Yeah, yeah. There. And um, should we not be doing that all the time, Rebecca? Um, I think that's true, but there's something about the level of desperation that we reach okay. that makes us start to envision what that full package might be. When we're happy and satisfied, I don't think we're contemplating those kinds of questions. But when you're holding a dead boy in your arms, I think that brings you to a whole new place Yes. of what that means. And as for the woman, I mean, I keep thinking of the comparison between Elijah says, well, that's fine. Make yourself some bread, but bring it to me first. Bring me all that you have first and then go feed yourself. I think it's the same thing. This little, this boy's remains you know, think about how carefully we curate the remains of those that we love when they pass on. This boy's remains is all she has left. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, hand them over. Mm. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable what yeah. she goes through and where she comes, what, what conclusion she comes to. So um, uh, the, the final thing that I wanted to say about um, this, what, you know, what we learned from Elijah is, as, when the boy does revive, Elijah goes gently with the mother. Um, you know, again, she's just handed over everything she has. And when he revives the boy, he doesn't try to correct her theology. 
He just says, see, your son lives. And he doesn't take any credit for the miracle either. And just going gently with her and being soft-spoken and a, a person of few words, I think sparks in her the best response possible. Because she says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now that made me, that was another point where I wrestled. I was like, wait a minute. Her, she and her household have been eating this miraculous bread the whole time. Did that not convince her that God was, you know, working, that he was a man of God? Well, apparently not. It reminded me of the, when the disciples were feeding the multitudes and they were passing out the bread and the fish, and then there was leftovers, and Jesus asked them about the leftovers, but they didn't get it. Like, th- their faith wasn't perfect about it, but the miracle still happened. Well, her faith wasn't perfect about, you know, the bread passing through her hands, but it was enough to operate, mm-hmm. you know, to actually spark that miracle. It got the faucet turned on. Um, so, and the other point is, she didn't even have to witness the boy's resurrection to know that the prophet's words probably had something to do with it. Um, And I noticed a pattern here when I'm talking about words. The pattern in the beginning, Elijah says to Ahab, there will be no rain except by my word. And then in the end, no life returns to this boy except by Elijah's word. So he has a very powerful word, but it's, it's, succinct. And again, just because he speaks powerfully doesn't mean that he runs roughshod over this woman. He goes gently with her. Mm -hmm. So she comes to the conclusion, which I think is so strong and worth repeating. The, The woman makes two really important convictions in her heart that Elijah was in fact a man of God and, yes. and I think this next one is, is one I think is um, even more amazing, and that is she comes to understand that the word of the Lord is truth. Yes, as mediated by Elijah, that actually human beings can do that. Mm-hmm. This, this human being, anyway. Yeah. And that everything she was saying before about you've come here to do payback, like, that's all wrong. That she just, in saying the, the word in your mouth is truth, she just cracked and fractured that agreement that she had made with the dark voice in her head. Mm-hmm. That's a renunciation of a, a bad agreement. Yeah, that's very interesting. I want to talk a little bit more about the a bad agreement. And also, I got some other questions for you. Dr. Rebecca Rhea is my guest. We're in First Kings chapter 17. What an amazing story. We'll be right back. Hello, Cheerful Givers. It is always amazing that you live so intentionally and give so sacrificially and are so generous in all that you do, whether it's financial gifts or it's your time and talents and resources God has given you. You are making an incredible difference for the kingdom and kingdom advances through prayer and giving. And we don't want to have the year end without inviting you to uh, make that end of the year tax deductible gift to help support Faith Radio. Your gift right now 
Well, keeps us spreading the good news in front of a lot of people. So thank you for giving by clicking the link in the show notes or giving at myfaithradio.com. Thank you so much. I'm back with Dr. Rebecca Ree. We're talking about 1 Kings 17. And right before the break, Rebecca, we were talking about a bad remembrance. And I'm thinking that the, the widow interpreted her son's death as Elijah's way of bringing back this bad remembrance of her former sins. Yes. Yeah, payback. Total payback. Just payback, yeah. And yep. that and that Elijah's presence in her home, this is he comes into their into her home. Yep. All of a sudden, she feels that it's uh, this is God having her recall her past sins, and yes. the Lord was going to punish her by putting her son to death. Seems yeah. pretty literally radical. killing him, yes. killing him. Yeah. Ouch. Yes. Well, let me kind of wind up the teaching by saying, giving a couple of little prayers there, which is some of us need to be praying, "Oh Lord, my God." let your life come back into me again, because there's no breath left in me. And some of us this time of year need to be praying, thank you, Lord, that the word of your mouth is truth and that my breakthrough is near. And then some of us, and you wanted to talk a little bit more about that, need to renounce any agreements that we may have Mm -hmm. made about ourselves and God Mm -hmm. in our circumstance. Because we're always going to run into a circumstance, no matter who we are, that is completely unexpected and painful. Um, But God is going to give us that ongoing flow of faith to get through it. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca, you said something which I know resonated with many people driving home right now in their car. And that is, your breakthrough is near. Because that's uh, a lot of kind of situation a lot of people are in right now. They're, they're in need of a breakthrough. Yes. Well, and again, she had no idea just how near it was. Uh, she, she didn't have a clue. She probably no. was thinking things are getting worse, not closer to a breakthrough. Right. Yeah. Yep. So when we look at the miracle of the uh, flour, the bowl of flour that was never exhausted or the jar of oil that never became empty, um, how do we, how do we, uh, think about that. You mean in terms of our own lives? Yeah, in terms of, we read this story and how, how do we, what do we, what do we take from that regarding this part of the story? Well, in, like in my son's case, I was talking about, we, we have to make sure that we're giving proper weight to what is there. We can't focus so much on what's not there. Like, you know, oh my gosh, I wish he could speak like this. You know, my son's, my, my friend over here, She's got a two-year-old that speaks more than my son, and mm-hmm. he's 11. You know, we can't focus so much on what's not there that we, we miss out on the miracle that it hasn't run out. And if we pay close attention, more is coming. Every single day that they fed, that, that household ate, that was more and more and more piling up. If you had a table and you kept putting the cakes of bread on it, you, that pile would start getting higher and higher and higher, and you'd start realizing just how, how much was being given. So, you know, it may not come in, in the proper, the, the way that we think is proper, the, 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 the pace that we want it, but that doesn't mean it's any less miraculous because we have to exercise patience in how we receive it. Mm-hmm. 
And when we start the chapter off, we, we again realize that there's tension because of the famine. And was that, that was brought on by God, wasn't it? It was brought on by, uh, I looked it up. If you read the chapter before, Ahab is not a good guy. No, he's, he's one not. of those. He's one of those guys that they said, and he sent more than all of his fathers put together. Yeah. So it was kind of like in, in response to that, that God starts the famine. So that means the drought. Okay. But it's really introduced through Elijah. And, yes. And, there, and hopefully the, what the teaching is going to also include is God is supreme over not only the rain, but also over uh, Baal. Yes. And the, and the yes. Baal worshipers were, were just uh, obviously... Um, believe that God that, that, that God made rain and was responsible for um, the, the rain being plenished throughout the, the earth. Yes. Okay. Well, what's great about the Elijah stories is that it's a pan, it has a panoramic camera and you see things like wide angle view. And then it has like stories like this one where you go straight inside of a, of a widow's heart. Mm, so good. And I appreciated your point earlier on that you made about, uh, when Elijah arrived and met the woman and he comes out by saying, hey, how about you get me some water and some food? When obviously there was a, a destitute situation going on and she said, I only have enough for me and my son, then we're going to die. <laughs> yep. Um, but the fact that Elijah went into that conversation knowing uh, how God was going to provide is really a strong insight because I must say, every time I read that, I thought, mm, that's pretty harsh, Elijah. Yeah. Yeah, but he, there's something he's looking for in her, and I can't quite put my finger on it completely, but he needs her participation for the miracle to happen. He needs that. Maybe she's got to get that off her chest first mm-hmm. for the good stuff to come in. Yeah, and does the process start with Elijah saying to her, you know, um, get me some water and bread, and then doesn't he encourage her don't fear what might happen, uh, but just yes. obey this request. And is that yes. like a step one? Because that's so yes. it's so uh, contrarian to what the way anyone would be thinking. It's priming the pump. Yeah, you know, it's it's getting her to put it to go for broke, to put it all on the line. Because mm. you know she's probably thinking, well, we're going to die anyway, whether it's a die, day sooner or later. What difference does it make? I might as well try this. Yeah. So this praying boldly, this going for broke, uh, when you have to pray because you need a breakthrough in your life, say more about that because people's attention is, uh, we're listening right now. We tend to be really weak and afraid and feel unfavored. That's my problem. Unfavored. When I'm having, when I, when I'm having um, catastrophe in my life, yeah. I feel like the redheaded stepchild. I feel like it's all happening, and these are the agreements that the enemy is trying to get me to make that I'm being punished. Yeah, I'm, my, my sins are being brought to remembrance, and that's why I'm, I'm in this bad place. Mm-hmm. And so going for broke and asking really boldly for, of God for something huge, I don't feel like I have the standing to do that before him. But Elijah's saying, just do it. <laughs> if he's looking for that from you. So how do you, how do you get to, how do you get on the other side when you're feeling unfavored? Do you feel like, you know, you've got to get God's attention, and, and but yet you feel unfavored. How do you get past, through that? That's when you go in your prayer closet okay. and you start beating your chest and, and screaming. <laughs> All right. Seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, um, I guess that's a great reminder. 
to get alone with God and let let him know, speak freely, because uh, he can handle it, huh? Yes. Well, one of the Psalms says, pour out your your heart before God, does it not? So that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. We get nervous to do that, don't we? We think, well, how how can I talk to God? What what can I say? I need to be super polite, don't I? Um, unless you have friends who um, pray in your presence and they just, you know, I had a woman pray in my presence when she, and she was just like, God, what is that? Like she was complaining <laughs> yeah. to God about my situation. And I loved that. I felt so loved in that moment. I was I like, oh, my gosh. I bet. <laughs> All you have to do is like read Psalm 88 or some of the other Psalms where you go, boy, uh, there's there's some energy and emotion and they're they're yes. loose. And the outcome is not hope. It's not great. Yes. Well, God only wants a genuine relationship with us, and he wants us making our agreements with him, even if they can be, like, raw and come from a really raw and desperate place. Mm-hmm. He wants us ultimately to get to the place where we are making our agreements with him. Yeah. So, Rebecca, if there's one thing in a brown paper bag I can take home with me from this uh, discussion on First Kings 17, what would be one little morsel I could put in the bag and take home? I would say... Um, you know, I would say pay attention because God, it, God may have commanded something concerning you and it's a, may about to emerge. Ooh, I like that. Or as, assume God has commanded something com- concerning you that is about to emerge. Mm-hmm. All right. I like that very much. So Rebecca, thank you again for all the study and prep time you do and the teaching on First Kings 17. If you missed any of this, I encourage you to go to the podcast and hear it from the beginning because you will be blessed by it. I hope you and your family have a glorious and merry and happy Christmas. Thank you. You bet. Always great to be with you. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. You can learn more about her at her website, RebeccaRee.net. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H-E ee.net. She has a, um, a newsletter that you can sign up for for free and get a sample of her writing that comes uh, regularly to your uh, mailbox, your email box, and you will love it. That's our show for the day. Thanks for spending time with me, and I so appreciate you, and I appreciate that you spend time here at Faith Radio uh, with us. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.